Hi, welcome to Cultivating Connections. On this episode, we want to talk about connecting versus disconnecting behaviors. I'm here with my brother Ryan, who would like to speak on it. I'm going to ask him a few questions. What's the difference between a connecting and disconnecting behavior? Well, uh, connecting behavior will serve to get us in touch with the moment and our feelings in that moment. It'll uh, foster the feeling of being present, whereas a disconnecting behavior will take us out of the moment. It'll serve as a, an escape from the moment. For me, um, a good example of that in my life right now is video games. I, uh, I've been using video games recently to escape from my present moment and to bring me somewhere else. But it wasn't always like that. See, any behavior can be used to escape or disconnect or to connect more. As a kid, when I first found video games, me and you, Roars, we would play video games, you know, wake up early for school and start playing, and it was a way for us to connect really deeply, and it was really fostered the connection between ourselves and the moment. But this example shows that anything we do can be used to connect us or disconnect us, and the core intention of our behaviors is often hidden, but there's always either an intention to disconnect or connect. In our, our modern, you know, society, I feel like 99% of the things we do serves to disconnect us from the present moment and ourselves. How do you know if your intention is true? How can one decipher whether you are disconnecting versus connecting? For me, a good indicator is um, feeling, trying to feel and get in touch with the anxiety and discomfort. If a behavior gives me an initial spike in anxiety, it's often serving to connect me more because it's connecting me with that uncomfortable feelings. Um, if my initial feeling is a decrease in anxiety, then it's often disconnecting. I'll use my example of video games again. When I decide to turn on video games, I get an initial decrease in anxiety and it feels great. It feels like I don't have to worry about anything. But really, it's just procrastinating those feelings because after I turn the video game off, the anxiety comes back and, and it comes back stronger. But when I decide to read a book, I don't get that. When I decide to read a book, I get this initial anxiety of, oh, this isn't going to be worth it or, oh, I have more important things to do. And for the first 10 minutes of reading the book, that's how, what I'm feeling. But after I get into the book, I start feeling better and better. And it's like I'm actively dealing with that anxiety and allowing it to pass instead of just procrastinating it to the future and letting it develop bigger and bigger. So that's how I try and understand my true intention better if something's really connecting or disconnecting me. I can relate to um, in my life with food. If, um, if I'm feeling anxious, I like to go for a quick snack, um, something to take me out of the moment, make me feel good. Um, also with, uh, for example, with sex in the past, I, um, would try to connect with people I didn't know very well for a quick instant, you know, gratification, but it never led me anywhere. And also with drugs and nicotine, um, that's something I'm trying to work on is not using nicotine as much and not sure. Well, food, food's a really good example, and I'm glad you brought it up. 
a good example of how things can be used to disconnect or connect is if you sit around the table, often as, chi as children and families, um, we sit around the table for dinner and everyone's expected to be there. And it's an opportunity after, you know, parents come home from work and the kids come home from school for everyone to sit down and connect. And it can be a really connecting thing. But as we grow older and settings change, food can be a source of disconnection. Like when we get out of work or we have a lunch break and we go to the nearest place that sells, you know, pizza or whatever thing we like, and we scarf it down real quick to take us out of the fact that, oh, we got to go back to work or we have to do this thing that we don't want to do. And um, yeah, I think I think often what, what we do with, uh, for example, with food or uh, another example would be, you know, drinking. Um, we tell ourselves we're trying to connect with people and maybe somewhere deep that is true because in the past maybe we did use food to connect like with the family or you know when you're young and you drink with friends you can open up more but ch we're chasing that good feeling that relief of anxiety um, as an adult doesn't usually work because it just you're just pushing away that anxiety. I feel I'm when I do it, I'm just pushing away that anxiety. Yeah. For a later time, and it usually compounds over time, and it gets pretty de detrimental. Yeah, I can relate to the that with alcohol. When I first used alcohol, I was with my friends, drank a little bit, didn't get drunk, just a little tipsy, and it was interesting and fun and then as I grew older I kept trying to like harness that and it just got more disconnecting and more disconnecting to the point where I needed to drink just to not feel like myself I needed to completely disconnect from who I was in order to feel like I could be around people in a social setting and that required completely numbing all my feelings and and all my anxieties but that would just after those times when I would go out drinking and and have a good time, I'd wake up the next day feeling more depressed and anxious than ever because every time I did that, I was uh, entrenching the belief that I'm not good enough, that the only reason people want to talk to me or the only reason people think I'm fun is because I drink alcohol. It's the alcohol, not me. And as that developed, my self-esteem diminished more and more until I got to a point when I was you know 22 where I dropped out of college because I felt like I couldn't even go outside without feeling crippling social anxiety I couldn't talk to people I couldn't laugh I couldn't do anything without worrying about what I was becoming or yeah right so you were using um, disconnection as a way to connect which isn't really true um, yeah, it's to not oneself true. Well, it's not true connection. I was use I was disconnecting from myself because I thought people could relate more to a person that was not socially anxious, not anxious, and and just like was avoiding the anxiety and just trying to have fun with alcohol in the moment. And I think people did relate to that, but it wasn't true connection. It was this superficial connection that didn't uh, didn't foster anything positive in my life. It just fostered the opposite. It fostered 
lower self-esteem and more disconnection and honestly more hate for who I was, less love for myself. Yeah, it sounds like it can be, uh, well, from our own experience and hearing others, it sounds extremely detrimental to well-being. Yeah, it was for me, absolutely. So how can you change a disconnecting experience to be more connecting? Well, for example, like, another example of this is Sunday football with the boys, you know. You go there, you have... Get, get together with the boys, have some pizza, drink some beers, and you watch football. And we always think, you know, this is a nice connecting behavior. This is the way we can connect with the boys. And honestly, it can be. It can be a really good good opportunity to connect. But for me, I've noticed that a lot of times it's a way to disconnect from my personal life. Like, there's problems with my family, with wife and kids. Like, I get a break from this for a little bit. And the best way to change that or foster the more connection for me is to just try and completely detox from it go without it like for video games just stop playing video games and and notice the anxiety increase you get i get from from not having that anxiety relieving outlet you know yeah which i feel can be it's kind of the opposite of what we try to do every day so it can be extremely scary i know for me um when I was confronted with the fact that I need to uh, get off opiates, um, it was overwhelming anxiety, and I pushed it off for a long time. But I think what you're trying to say, or what you told me um, when I was trying to get off it, something that you were trying to support me in doing, was that the anxiety is not going to kill me. And it did feel like it was going to. It yeah. felt like the anxiety will never end, and that it, it felt kind of like a sense of doom and yeah I feel I felt the same way it feels like when you allow this anxiety in you feel like oh this is just gonna be my life forever and I will never escape this anxiety but the truth is if you can allow a little bit of anxiety in and be able to be okay with it then you can let it go and you can allow a little bit more in and you can let it go and you can deal with this anxiety over the course of time Instead of, you know, letting all of this anxiety in at once and, and having it overwhelm you to the point where it cripples you. And I've, I've experienced both of those. And, um, and if you can do a little thing, like for me it was instead of, when I have extra time, instead of jumping on the video games to pick up a book and start reading, it's such a simple decision, but... That one decision changed so much of my life in a lot of ways because reading the book allowed me to, to feel my anxieties and my fears and begin to accept them and realize they're not going to harm me. They're not going to hurt me. You know, they're just, they're going to be there. They need to be acknowledged and they can help me learn. They can be teachers, not enemies. So you got to under, you got to a point where you could understand them better? Absolutely. Nice. I think uh, this generalized anxiety I feel, and a lot of people feel, it gets muddied, so we don't really know what the source of it is. But underlying it is usually some very, you know, very astute fear, something we're afraid of, whether it's, you know, fear of death, fear of living, or something more simple like fear of rejection. And that's the fear of rejection is what 
led me to drink more and 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 gave me this sense of generalized anxiety that was always with me all the time until recently where I was able to understand it you know accept it and start to let go of it um, but in the past it was just generalized anxiety all the time and it was these fears underlying them that that were producing it you know brings us to how we started um, our group which was a group meant to to foster this connection and when we first realized that we had to start fostering more connection in our life we reached out to people that we hadn't seen for a while maybe from high school or whatnot that we knew had a similar struggle well it's not really a struggle as much as we knew they had a similar um, desire for connection and they understood the importance of connection and everyone has their struggles and and it's good to understand them and be able to relate to them but uh, for for me when we started talking to other people and we invited them to come over and talk it was super positive yeah. just to hear hear the, what they're going through and be able to express what I'm going through and just feel accepted and and that's what it was we it just started as you know inviting people over and just talking and and it was you know sporadic sometimes we do it every week or sometimes we'd go a couple weeks without it but it was really important for us to to really feel connected to others yeah i feel like every time we got together we kind of um lowered our boundaries between each other and very quickly saw that we're all very alike and we all have a similar um, goal here. And, and ultimately that goal is to connect, to be accepted, yeah. and to not be judged for our past or our behaviors. And um, I think at first when we saw, you know, so many people like, you know, a guy in his 50s, how could I relate to them? Like, we have such different we've had such a different life but then when you start talking to them and you you lower your your defenses and you allow yourself to be a little vulnerable you realize how much you are alike and how much our struggles you know are similar and how we can draw power and strength from each other yeah i mean we're not a i i feel much less alone in my pain now because i can see that I mean, I can see it in everyday life, but I can see that everyone's struggling with some, some form of pain and pushing it away isn't going to help. And so what we're trying to do here is connect and express what, express the difficulties that we experience and we go through so that others can understand it and have our, have each other's backs. Because we think that, I mean, I think that that is a very positive thing on this world. And I personally feel that the culture doesn't really uh, doesn't really push push connection so much as it does disconnection. Yeah, I agree. And this group, when we first started it, that was that was the goal—just to just connect with people and talk. And it was great, and we were connecting, but it seemed like it got to a point after a few weeks where we weren't allowing ourselves to to lower our defenses anymore. We weren't allowing ourselves to be any any more vulnerable. And 
Yeah, it stagnated for sure. Yeah, it started it to felt s- that way. Felt like it was stagnating, and we weren't getting as much out of it. So that's when I proposed that we try a another way to lower our barriers, and I approached Rory and our other friend and said, "Let's try this, you know, connection ritual that I've been thinking of." Which how we do it is we we have a specific spot, a specific time every week in a specific specific structure and schedule to what we do. Um, we we treat this ritual with a lot of respect. I mean, as as it should be, and it sh- should be should be treated as a. It's gonna. It may sound wrong or something, but it should be treated as a religious experience. I mean, yeah, it, it should, should be treated with with real reverence or. Yeah, absolutely, and and some of the people in our group didn't. I don't think completely understood that, but. I knew, you know, the one of our friends did, and and Rory did, and so when we first started this group, or we first started these connection rituals, we went out into this specific spot in the woods, and we used marijuana to get into an altered state. We all understood the power of altered states in this group because of we've seen the research on psychedelic substances coming out in Johns Hopkins and other places around the world, and we knew the power of an alternate perspective on your situation. That's really why we're trying to connect with people in the first place, gain new perspectives on our on our reality. And we knew that if marijuana was used in the right setting, it could be used to lower barriers and help connect more. And that was a hard thing to realize at first because in my life, marijuana has only been used to disconnect. I used to smoke every day, play video games, and just zone out pretty much the whole day. And that's why it's very important to realize that or for us to understand that drugs are just tools and it's all about how they're used um, our society teaches us to use drugs to disconnect all the time that's what that's what we're conditioned to do but that does not mean drugs are bad drugs are just tools they're not good or bad right which plays into is revenants the right word yeah okay so it plays into the revenants of the the ritual it, it, we we keep the we don't smoke marijuana outside of the ritual um, we can try to connect in other ways but having that setting and having um, respect for the substance in that setting can really attain um, and that's something a group experience that that is very important to that specific group yeah and that's something we learned from looking at you know how ancient tribes and um how ancient tribes used substances right there was always that reverence around them there always that respect for the substances not as drugs but as teachers you know ayahuasca they call mother ayahuasca mother ayahuasca it's a it has a spirit to it it has a a real respect around it and i I can attest to that one yeah (laughs) and it's it's obvious, you know, that that's the way our ancestors used these substances. They didn't they didn't use them as less like, you know, these are just some some drugs you can take to to feel different. They were 
ways of accessing different very important perspectives should we talk about what successes each of us have had well let's first just talk about what the the setting looks like so people understand it because i mean it is really simple we we get together in a specific spot specific time we smoke and then we sit in silence for 10 to 15 minutes and the whole time we're in silence as we're feeling the marijuana effects we the whole intention and goal is to feel everything to be in the moment and feel the fear most often it's a feeling at least for me and i know for rory too because we talk about it overwhelming feeling of fear and paranoia and anxiety well, well 10 minutes is a long time yeah it to, feels like to, an eternity it does feel like an eternity and it's difficult to get through the 10 minutes um yeah, you're just, I just, I personally have felt very, very overwhelmed with anxious feelings and thoughts, but the truth is that's, that's a blessing. That's yeah. been so helpful because I've been able to share and, and get feedback and other people, Ryan and, and process friend, those things. You know, yeah. Talk, share what they're going through, process it, understand it. And as you process it, it begins to have less of an effect in your daily life, less of this generalized anxiety always hanging over your head but as we sit there in those 10 minutes we just it's very helpful to be in nature because there's always things that can bring us back because what, what often will happen is we have all these thoughts come up and we start going down these different avenues of thoughts and that in itself is a defensive mechanism it's a defensive way to disconnect from how we're feeling to, to think and intellectualize all these things so we try our best to bring ourselves back to the moment to where we are to being and feeling what we're feeling and after that silence we ring a bell and we we talk about how we're feeling and there's elements of all types of you know therapies in this like talk therapy talk therapy group therapy and like psychotherapy because we we allow ourselves to have a little free association with talk about whatever comes up because nothing's wrong everything that comes up is valuable everything you feel any memory a lot of times some memory from childhood will come up and you just like you know, that doesn't seem significant at all. Why did I think about that? When you share it and you talk about it, people, people that truly are connected with you and you're vulnerable and fully accepted around, they'll recognize things that often you won't even recognize. And they'll say, oh, that's interesting. And then they'll tell experience of their own. And it's incredibly powerful and transformative. It's really like a uh, transfer of energy. Exactly. Letting the... Uh the energy, the anxiety, the fear out, and then it can transform into a valuable experience as opposed to always, we're always trying to escape. Yeah, well, we always keep all this anxiety and fear pent up in us, like hidden, try to sweep it under the rug, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until, you know, we explode or we we turn to drugs or whatever. We have these behaviors that serve to help us escape from that and ignore it and avoid all these things these things that we're avoiding already but it's like as we enter in this moment and talking about them we can you know begin to sweep those things out of the rug start to deal with them see them tell express them to each other and then we can let go of them and every week we do this and it feels like every week we're chunking a little bit of anxiety in a safe place and dealing with this anxiety and fear right so that we can we can let go of it and if i didn't have this session weekly session i don't think i would be able to do that because i wouldn't have a safe place where i feel fully accepted to 
start to dive into these anxieties and fears. I would think without this, without this setting, I would feel so scared that all, if I let in these anxieties and fears, they're going to overwhelm me and they're going to, to consume me. And, and in this setting, after we feel, you know, for the, for me, it's the first few minutes, fear and paranoia and anxiety. And we express that, but then I feel the overwhelming rush of love, gratitude, and acceptance. And I mean, I've seen you tear up. Well, I think every time we've 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 been there. Yeah, I mean it's an emotional thing, and I I love it. It's cathartic. It's it's amazing. It's I look forward to it every week. It's incredible. It really is. It does it does feel at times like a miracle to have that group. I think it is. It is a miracle, not just the group, but everything that's happened. Like talking about, we've been doing this for six weeks. What has happened in that six weeks? Well, what has happened? <laughs> I mean, it seems it's hard to even say because it seems so surreal. But what's happened is, I can I can speak for myself. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, six weeks ago, I was in active addiction. I was on methadone. I've been on methadone for seven years, and six weeks ago, I did not believe that I would ever get off methadone. I, I had always hoped that I would, and I told myself that, but there was a point where my friend asked me, um, she asked me if I thought I'd ever get off drugs, and I was bullshitting her at first. I was saying, yeah, I, I probably, yeah, of course, you know, I was hopeful, but then I stopped and thought about it and uh, tried to conjure up some humili humility, and I told her, honestly, I don't know if I'll ever get off drugs, and at this point, I don't see an avenue to get off drugs. And I'd been in addiction for 10 years. I'd been on methadone for seven years. And it seemed like in my life, people didn't really want me to get off methadone because they feared that I would, you know, I wouldn't make it. So anyway, um, let's just go to the facts. <laughs> Six weeks ago... You were using heroin, I think, pretty much every day. You were ordering drugs online, and and I saw you overdose, and I thought you were dead. I realized there was another time around, similar time where you overdosed a different time. About two weeks before that. About two weeks before. And both times you had to be revived with, with Narcan, and you were... Um, I saw you like I've never seen a body ever, besides on TV, lifeless and gray. And, um, and honestly, that was like the hardest thing I've ever seen because I never truly allowed myself to, even though people always say, you know, drug addicts die, I never truly felt like I allowed myself to think of life without you. But um, that moment, and it was, it was actually after our first session that this happened. And it's important to realize because we all felt after the first session, we realized that this is bringing up a lot of fear and anxiety and we all went back to our old coping mechanisms harder than ever. Right. Because we realized the fear and anxiety and that there's a danger to that, obviously. Yeah, it's, you know? it's the fear of the unknown, fear of, of what will become. Yeah, it, fear of potential, really. Fear of potential. We all realized there was potential in the first session, but... We didn't, um, 
it's just really terrifying and we all felt that and um so after after i had overdosed and you had seen my body and then what happened i what happened well i i was pacing back and forth in your room looking at your lifeless body mom and dad were grabbing narcan mom was shaking you and i felt like my whole life flashed before my eyes i felt like i i don't know i was just thinking and thinking and then all of a sudden i was stopped thinking and i just felt how i was feeling and i feel like i wasn't even like consciously doing this but i jumped on you and i you know grabbed you held your head and said you know come back roars i need you and um Honestly, after I saw, after I said that, I mean, I was still terrified, but then I saw a little, a little color come back into your skin and I was like, okay, I, he's not going to leave, you know, he's going to, he's going to be here and he's going to, he's going to try and do this with me and with us and with everyone. And that was, that whole week was the hardest week of my life. Not only that, but also I had, you know, my wife and daughter involved in the experience, not directly, but but they were having to put up with a lot of stuff because a lot of my time was being taken away from them because I was with you and, and yeah, I've never felt, you know, so much fear and anxiety and, and stress in my life, but I also have never felt since then as much gratitude and love for the world as as ever I think that what we have is miraculous and I don't say that it's not hyperbole I truly believe it um, past six weeks you've not only have you stopped using heroin and crack you've got off methadone completely you're motivated to to build a vision for yourself and for the people in your life you see the effect that you have on others and I see the effect that you have on me you you have changed my life more than anyone ever has, really, in a lot of ways. You know, aside from my, my wife and my daughter, the decisions you ha have made in the past six weeks have had an effect that's unbelievable. And I think a lot of times we, we tell ourselves, you know, we don't have any effect. We can't help each other. We, there's nothing we can do. You know, we're just, we're just that effect to the world. But this past six weeks have showed me how much effect that we have on the ones we love. And for me, you know, my accomplishments might not seem that great compared to yours because uh, what you've done is unbelievable. But the past six weeks, I've become a better father and a better husband. And I know that. And I've, I mean, a simple thing is I stopped playing video games. I started reading and I um, started trying to spend every moment I have free being as present as possible with my daughter and with with my wife because I know I know the effect that that'll have on them now and in the future just being there and just feeling what I'm feeling with them instead of I mean in the in the past before that I was my my wife and kid would be on the bed hanging out and I'd be playing video games for three four hours and it's like I'm searching for connection but when there's an opportunity to connect right there, I'm choosing to disconnect because it's uncomfortable. And, right. And yeah. Wow. I uh, kind of surprised myself. Well, you said you were surprised, and hearing it back, it does surprise me. Um, 
that I chose to go into rehab after that overdose because... And that was the first time I ever heard rehab out of your mouth and it not be someone else's idea. It right. come from you. Right. And I knew that this was different. And there was still so much fear and anxiety, especially... For you me know, too. Mom and dad even, they were they didn't really want you to get off methadone because... They were feared that something bad, worse could well, happen, they're, right? They're, they're doc, a doctor and a nurse in the medical field. And the medical industry often says, you know, it's a lot more dangerous to get off methadone than not. And they, they urge you not to get off methadone because right. most people that, that try to get off methadone end up dead or or just right back on it. And right. So they're kind of saying, like, what's the point? And the point is, what we've learned is that although methadone may not be as destructive as heroin, it was still serving the same purpose. Absolutely. To disconnect from these emotions and the feelings. And if we truly want to try at least to go the other way and connect more, then we got to detox from all the things in our life that are trying that are disconnecting us. Right. And obviously we haven't done all of that, but we it's very, made a lot of big steps. It's very difficult to do alone. I think it's impossible to do alone. I don't think yeah, I don't think anyone does anything alone. Uh, per se, not to take away from people that feel they have done things alone, but um, I'll tell you in the seven years that I was addicted to methadone, my addiction got infinitely worse than it was when I had first got on it. And um, I, I'm on a, I'm being honest, I didn't think I would ever get off methadone. Um, even going into rehab, I was, you know, kind of, I was kind of questioning it. Um, but I put myself in rehab because I knew it would be the safest place to get off methadone. Because if I wasn't in rehab, I'd have access to, I could, I could get, a, I could, you know, walk up and meet someone and get drugs. Not that that I'd ever want that, but you, I had to be honest with myself. And uh, I think I speak for most people that are on methadone. I don't know. I've talked. I can't say I speak for most of them, but I've talked to quite a few. And one of the biggest fears is getting off the methadone because the the methadone serves a purpose of not having to deal with any of the things that got us on drugs in the first place. And a lot of it is guilt and shame. Right. Things we've done in the past. Which which is so detrimental because... I think the only way to truly deal with that guilt and shame, the thing that's perpetuating the drug use, is to feel 100% fully accepted for who you are now. Right. Not that, you know, if you get off drugs, we'll fully accept you. No, you're fully accepted now for who you are. And if you decide to make a choice to get off drugs, that's incredible. It'll have a powerful effect on, on me, you, and everyone around. But it's not contingent on that. Nothing's contingent right. on, on you doing anything. You're fully fully accepted as who you are now. And right. we're lucky to have you. And we're lucky to, to have people that truly care because I think society has a... Not to talk about society and, and culture too much, but it does feel like they have a certain viewpoint on dr- drug addicts. I mean, that's 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 obvious. Absolutely. And and that that view, that judgmental opposing view about drug addicts, is super detrimental. And I've well, it's a, it's a hypocritical thing too, because at the core, you know, drugs is especially heroin is like one of the extremes, but at the core of it is the same disconnected behavior as. When someone, you know, decides to overeat or someone decides to spend all day with internet or porn addiction or sex addiction, whatever it is, there's, we're all in some ways doing things to disconnect us from the present moment, from our feelings. And, right. and we shouldn't label any of them as worse than other ways. They're all, you know, they're all ways that we, we 
we choose to disconnect and none of them are there's nothing wrong with any of them. I wouldn't even say they're good or bad. I'd just say they're hindrances. Well, yeah. They can be hindrances. They can be hindrances if if your if your goal is to grow and develop, then they're hindrances. Right. If your goal is to stay where you are, then they're serving their purpose. Right. And I think that's they keep you, know, you stagnated for sure. In the past, that's what I wanted, you know. I didn't want growth because growth required, you know, dealing with anxiety and and fear and a lot of things. So like being stagnant and just going through life, that was what I saw as the most optimal way to do it, to live. But really deep down, I was, you know, lying to myself because there's so much more that I can get out of life if I allow myself to be vulnerable and connect with others. And And one thing I wanted to say about like, about like our ritual is I'm, I'm not telling anyone to do this. Like using marijuana is a way that we thought of, and it's been honestly more powerful than I could have ever imagined. But there are a million ways to lower your defenses, increase vulnerability and deepen connection, whether it's a meditation group or a exercise group, or just, you know, getting together with the boys and playing basketball or playing music. Whatever it is. I mean, even just getting together and talking can be Yeah, I think helpful. that's the, the, one of the best ways, absolutely. So, like, there's infinite ways that you can, that we can deepen our connection with ourselves, foster our intuition and vulnerability, and and uh, yeah. just trust yourself with, with a way to do that. If you feel like, oh, you know, I want to go to the gym and, and start an exercise group, trust yourself. And when you're there, try and... Try and understand that vulnerability is not a weakness, but it's a strength. And yeah. I encourage, I, I want everyone to know that this is possible no matter who you are, no matter where you are. You can increase connection with your emotions in the present moment and, and other people. And yeah, we have full confidence in you and we have full confidence in ourselves that we're, we do have the ability to overcome almost all fear and anxiety. Yeah. And if you, but we also don't think you can do it alone. And so if I know in the past, I've felt like I have to do this alone. You know, I felt like this is on me and I can't rely on anyone else because no one else will, will can help me They're They'll just take advantage of me or whatever. But that only got me deeper and deeper into depressive states and kind of felt like you had relapsed into habits, relapse over and over again. And now that I have this session, you know, weekly, I know even if I do relapse, it's not the end of the world because I can go and I can talk about, you know, oh, I was falling back on old patterns this week and I didn't feel good about myself. Right. And I will feel fully accepted. You'll be accepted no matter what. Yeah. And I can see the effect it'll have on people. They'll they'll still, you know, love me 100%, but they'll be like, you, you'll feel a little disappointment. And it's not a bad thing. It's just the disappointment comes from they want the most from you. They want you to be the best you can be. And it's a loving thing, you know? Well, they want the most from you and for you. Yeah. Most importantly, for you. It really comes from, like, love, a loving intention. Everything that, that I feel there is from a loving intention, and I know that that I can uh, I can rely on that weekly to return to and to do and, and develop and grow. And it's not daunting. Well, it's not as daunting and overwhelming when you just have to focus on a week and not the rest of your life. Yeah, and this group is actually... 
beneficial for everyone, even just our own group, because if we start to have a positive impact, like say I stop using, you know, opiates or, you know, Ryan starts becoming more social, sociable with his friends or anyone really, it's going to have a positive impact and that's going to have a positive impact on the people around us and they're going to have a positive impact on the people around them as opposed to if I'm still using drugs, I'm going to have a negative impact on my family who's going to have a ne negative impact in their life and it's just only going to spread outwards. It's it, this, this idea of community, everyone can, I mean, I feel like it just starts with, starts with you. That's one of the most powerful and motivating things and empowering things about this group is I see every week the effect that I'm having on you guys. And I, every week, you guys see the effect you're having on me. And this connection ritual, and this, just the three of us, it's so obvious, you know. And it gets, it gets obfuscated in like daily life when you yeah. feel like you don't, you're not having an effect on people. But in that session, I can see so clearly, you know, that. I mean, I yeah, I remember in the last session we had, I was really scared of the next day in this week because I felt like there were expectations on me from other people, not from you or. Or not from our group, but from other people. Yeah. And that's natural. That's going to happen. That's that's part of it. Um, but just knowing that it's going to be okay, and we're going to get through it, and we're going to make it. And no matter what happens, that. we'll be here next week, and we'll be fully accepted in the same space. Right. So it gives me and it gives me a setting throughout the week to try and better myself for myself. I'm not doing that because other people expect me to. It's because I actually feel safe enough in the environment that I'm in to explore myself. Yeah. I mean, we all feel in this group that if we focus on ourselves and try and become the, as best as we can be, we will better the people around us that we love. And we see that every week. And, and that is so motivational, so inspirational for, for myself. And that's, yeah. Like I, I don't think in the past I would do destructive behaviors and I'd be like, Oh, it's just me, you know, it's just, I'm just hurting myself. Right. But that's never true. It's just an excuse. Like, I don't think I could, and this is really evident with my daughter, who's just turned six months, is like, I'm not strong enough to overcome a lot of my hindrances without a good enough reason. And the good enough reason is bettering the people around me and better, ultimately bettering the world, you know? Like, and bettering yourself. Yeah, for that. Ab absolutely. For, yeah. I mean, that's the modality. I better myself to better the, the people around me and, right. and better the world. And obviously, I, I've developed more love for myself. And I, I, I want myself to... I think I deserve to to feel good and, and be happy. And I don't think in the past I really ever truly did. In the past, I felt like, you know, there's something wrong with me I'm broken I don't deserve love or whatever and that always hindered me but I see more clearly now um, just see more clearly now the future that I want to create and it makes it a lot a lot easier to do the things that will create that future now you know so we're going to wrap up this podcast on connecting and disconnecting behaviors now. We hope you guys listened got some value out of it. When uh, we re-listened to it, we thought uh, there was a lot of good parts, but we also wanted to add a few things that we forgot. Um, first thing is, is when I re-listened to this, it sounded like I was 
kind of being really down on video games, but I'm not. I love video games. You know, they've been a part of my life ever since I first played, you know, Super Nintendo when I was five. And they've been instrumental in making me who I am. And I mean, I don't regret, you know, anything about playing video games. But I did realize recently after having, like, getting married and having my daughter, they were starting to become more destructive and getting in the way of my relationship. And, um, and so I, I've been trying to change for a while, trying to stop playing so much video games. And I had some success and I had some relapses going back and forth, like playing more and, and playing less. But recently over the past couple of weeks, I have been able to stop playing and it's primarily because I'm focusing on trying to build connecting behaviors like that quote says like if you want to change don't focus on destroying the old focus on building the new like instead of focusing all my energy on oh I can't play video games or oh I shouldn't play video games it's it's not like that at all it's just oh I could play video games or I could you know cook with my family or I could read this book with my daughter you know and so I'm not f- telling myself, you know, don't play video games or anything like that. I'm just telling myself, you know, I have an opportunity to connect with my wife and daughter here. Let's, let's see that. And um, I think it's had a really positive effect on our relationship so far, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, another thing we wanted to say is that we're not experts in, in anything, you know, uh, besides ourselves. And we've... We've had our fair share of, you know, seen our fair share of therapists, you know. I actually, when I was very depressed and socially anxious, anxious, I, and I was dropped out of college, I was pushed to search for alternatives because when I went to the doctors, they would not, the only thing they could say is, you know, you can try these, these antidepressants, these pharmaceuticals, that was about it. And those never helped me, so when I realized that the doctors really weren't able to help me, that was when I realized, oh, it was up to me to help myself. And I started researching alternative treatments, plant medicines, um, psychedelics, and that led me to um, to have a psychedelic experience for myself for the first time when I was 23. And a few days after that, I re-enrolled in college and studied and changed my major to psychology. And a lot of the things I learned in about psychology have been really informative and helpful for me. But that doesn't mean you need to know any of that. I truly believe that everyone is their own perfect therapist. And deep down, we all know what we need. It's just about fostering that trust with ourselves and that intuition to to be able to take the leap and, and do the things that we, we know we should. Um, so if, if you're out there listening, wondering like, oh, I don't have, I don't have what they have or whatever, it's, you don't need anything. You just need yourself and a few people that will listen to you and accept you is incredibly helpful too. I would, I would not have been able to change some of my behaviors had I not had people in my life that I could trust and people that fully accepted me because I tried before after that 
first experience, I tried to change all my behaviors, and they all crumbled, and I went right back to where I was in a depressed pattern because I thought I could do it alone, but I couldn't. And I realize now that uh, having a, a support structure is critically important, but that support structure is not just going to come out of nowhere. You have to actively build it. And, I mean, before this... I never talked to my brother. I barely talked to my parents. I couldn't connect with any of them. But I knew that it was possible to connect more. I just had to try to build it. And that's what I have been doing. And now, with with Rory, my brother, I feel so empowered to better myself because of his support. And I'm very, truly grateful for him because I... I know I would not have been able to do the things I've been doing without him. Yeah, Ryan, I can relate to that too. I don't think I would have um, had any of the successes that I've had recently without um, you and the support that you give me. Um, it's played an instrumental instrumental role in you know my outlook today which is an incredible change from the past. Um, That's good. And and we hope if if you're out there listening and you want to connect with us, we would love to hear from anyone. Um, We're working on getting more avenues for people to contact us, but right now you can email me at my personal email. It's ryan.vantynen at gmail.com. That's Vantynen, V-A-N-T-U-I-N-E-N. Yeah. And uh, eventually, we'll have a try and have a Facebook page and eventually a website. Yeah, I think I think Facebook would be um, a much easier way for you guys to connect with us. So we're gonna set one up. Cool. And we'll have our we'll have both of our emails on there as well. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye.